Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 157 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I have Kurt Mortensen here with me as usual. Kurt, how are you doing today? Hey, feeling good. It's a beautiful day to learn how to persuade. How am I supposed to do that way? Yeah, it is a beautiful day. I, I probably should save this for a blunder, but I, I got to talk about this because I can't not talk about it. I was taking a couple of flights on Delta Airlines over the weekend, and I, I don't know that it's necessarily their fault, but we got to put Samsung in the light here. I don't know if you've heard of this, but on there, I think it's their Galaxy Note 7, one of their... The 7s, oh yeah, the ones that kind of just happen to explode or something, or they start burning. Yeah, they, the batteries catch on fire or explode or something when you're charging them. <laughs> is that a bad thing? It, it is apparently a bad thing, <laughs> or at least the FAA thinks so. I'm oh, on these okay. flights, and even in the airport, they're announcing the FAA has determined that this Samsung Galaxy Note is unsafe for flying. You are prohibited from charging your phone in flight. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I feel bad or what for Samsung. I mean, I am an Apple guy. But anytime you got the FAA announcing in the airport that your phone is unsafe, that just cannot be good for business. <laughs> it's not good for business. But it's even worse with that, and this happened to Intel, is that even though there's only a point zero 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 one chance of it happening, everyone thinks their phone's flawed, they're going to want a replacement, it's going to yeah. cost them millions, probably billions of dollars. I'm not sure how they're handling the PR, maybe we should talk about that next week, but absolutely, that is not good to have the government say, yeah, don't bring those on the plane, don't charge them on the plane, they're faulty. It's, yeah, it's not, the, it's not whether it's actually faulty, it's that no. they're having to have this conversation now. That's what happened to Intel when they had that faulty computer chip. Like, it's not a challenge. Don't worry about it. It's not going to happen to you. You don't do those type of computations and cost them a couple hundred million dollars to replace all those computer chips, even though it wasn't a big deal for most people. <laughs> yeah, there's a movie out there that uh, Sandra Bullock was in recently called Our Brand is Crisis, and she goes to be a political advisor for some uh, crooked election in South America somewhere. I'm not doing the plot justice, but there's a clip where she says, we need to get it out in the media that our opponent and I... She says some absurd sexual deviancy thing, right? They're going to start this bad rumor about whoever they're running against. And this aide that she tells this to says, well, he, he doesn't do that. She says, I don't care that he doesn't do it. I just want to hear him deny it, <laughs> right? And that's the whole idea. If you have to deny it, oh, it's, I mean, whether it's true or not, there you are having to explain it away. And yeah, the FAA talking about Samsung in the airports, Delta before every flight. I, I felt bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to hurt. That, you yeah. guarantee it's going to yeah, hurt. I, it's, whether it's your fault or not, it's a persuasion blunder. <laughs> In fact, I was looking at a Samsung 7, and I will be waiting. Yeah, let's let's make sure they're not catching on fire. <laughs> yeah, minor thing, but yeah. Yep. Fires on flights might not be the best thing. I, I was listening to it as I smugly plugged my iPhone into the charger on the plane. <laughs> All right, yeah. you win this week. I win this week, so. So that's, uh, yeah, that's something. <laughs> We've got a great interview for today, which we'll announce in just a minute. But I want to remind everybody to follow us on Twitter at Influence Max. Like us on Facebook. We post great links to the show and other interesting articles on Facebook and some cool memes that are going to get you pumped up and motivated. When you're persuading, you got to have that done sometimes. So 
Make sure you check those things out as well as universityofpersuasion.com, where for less than the cost of a Honda Civic, you can get top-notch persuasion education and become a pro negotiator. How's that for an awkward segue? Yeah, I liked it. It's pretty good stuff. So I liked our interview today. Uh, Kurt and I did an interview with Chris Voss. Chris is a veteran FBI international hostage negotiator. That's a mouthful. Yeah. He was awesome. We learned some great information. Not only did you learn the best techniques from the FBI, but for people that are holding a gun, that are holding hostages, but you felt that way in business before being held hostage, and a lot of the techniques and strategies are very, very similar, even though there's not a gun in this situation, at least hopefully there's not a gun. This is great information you can use every day. Yeah, we asked him what his least favorite vegetable is, too, and he made some great points. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That is true. So if you want to listen to it, if you want to find out what Chris said, then you need to tune in. Let's cut now to our interview with Chris Voss. My pleasure to welcome to the show Chris Voss. Chris Voss is the CEO of Black Swan Group and author of national bestseller, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. The 20-year veteran of the FBI, Chris retired as their lead international kidnapping negotiator. His company specializes in solving business communication problems with hostage negotiation solutions. In addition to the FBI, Chris's experience draws from the Harvard Program on Negotiation, Scotland Yard, and the Kellogg School of Business. His negotiation methodology centers around black swans, small pieces of information that have a huge effect on an outcome. Not only does Chris believe the negotiation process needs to be tailored to draw out these complexities, but also he and his team negotiate in a way that has a huge impact on influencing an outcome. Chris and his team have helped companies secure and close better deals, save money, and solve internal communication problems. Chris, welcome to the show. Steve, thank you. Let's save some money, man. Let's figure out a way to help people save money. That's right. I, I was smiling to myself as I went through the intro because I thought, you know, I, I bet people a lot of times feel like in a business situation, they're <laughs> literally doing hostage negotiating. I know sometimes I've had people try to hold me hostage on a particular sticking point. So I, I think it's a really cool edge that you bring to the concept of negotiating here. That's awesome. Yeah, I got to tell you what, so, you know, sometimes the only difference between a kidnapper and the demands they make on and the demands you get made on you in, in business is the fact there's no actual gun going on uh, present in a business negotiation, right? <laughs> no actual gun, metaphorical guns, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think sometimes it might be easier to have an actual gun with all the things that people are doing and the tricks are playing with negotiation. So fascinating topic. Let's take a deep dive in here and figure out how we can use some skills our listeners can become better negotiators. As we talk about all the time, we negotiate and persuade every day, and these skills will will make you money. If you don't have them, as you mentioned, they'll cost you money. So the most serious question of the day, Chris, is, all right, what vegetable? What is the worst vegetable on the planet? We, we got to know. You know, I was, I, was try, I was trying to think of that. Uh, you know, is it is it eggplant? Is an eggplant a vegetable? <laughs> I mean, I, I would put it, yeah, I put it in the category of worst vegetables, yeah. You know, because you always get it in Italian food in this amazing sauce and with everything else with it. So the, I think they're trying to disguise this horrible vegetable <laughs> inside of this amazing dish. And give me, you know, Parmesan, anything except eggplant Parmesan. There you go. <laughs> give me chicken. Give me something else. Yeah, I think that comes from emotional scars where my mom tried to hide certain things and sauces and vegetables. I'm like, wait a minute, something's <laughs> up here. Right. Something's up. 
All right, good answer, good answer. Yeah, they got to bury it and disguise it. That's uh, probably one of the better well-thought-out vegetable answers we've ever got. Congratulations, Chris. <laughs> Go throughout your day knowing you just nailed it on that answer. Uh, all right, yeah, I've moved to the lightning round now. Right? Yes, you are. Yeah, here, Here's actually the lightning round. On the show, we, we like to feature every week a blunder where somebody has made a critical uh, persuasion or negotiation or influence error. We're curious, what's one of the worst blunders you've seen, whether you did it yourself or whether you saw it done in your career with the FBI or training businesses where somebody just really, really pulled a bad move negotiating? Don't, don't, don't. Well, I mean, I was kind of mad at myself for something I did the other day because we're on the phone with a client and I thought we had our side. We were clear on what the end of the conversation was and what the next steps were. And we didn't summarize and we didn't three plus it. We didn't have them repeat it three times because we listen really good. So we know where we are. And two days later, we got back on a phone with them and they had a completely different impression than we had at the end of the last conversation. I was so mad at myself for not just, you know, sometimes we hate to summarize because we think it's blatantly obvious and we're scared to point out the obvious. We got them to the point where we really liked and we thought we were going to move forward productively and we just didn't drill into it at the very end. I felt really stupid about that. Yeah, I've done that myself. Yeah, it's a kind of a common problem, right? I mean, we yeah. think we know where we are and we and we don't want to repeat it because we're afraid of sounding stupid. Yeah, right. It's a great point because it makes perfect sense to us, but then, of course, the prospect, the client didn't get it as well because we've talked about it so many times. It's the first time they heard it sometimes. Uh, just sitting back and repeating and being a better listener can go a long way. Yeah. It's uh, important for all of us to relearn. That's the key word there. we got to relearn that one because we've already learned that one. We just have to relearn it and make sure we don't do it. Yeah, it's all about right. keeping a level of your game high, right? Sometimes you just, yeah. you know, you let it slide a little. It's all about the, the basics sometimes, and we forget about those things that make the biggest difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, of course, we're bored by the basics, so we, we don't want to do it. But it's actually with the pros, you know, like a professional athlete, boy, they, they focus on the fundamentals to beat everybody else. Great point. Or I like the example of the pilot, right? They always go through the checklist every time. Doesn't matter. And that uh, keeps everyone safe. Great. Right. Let me ask you another question here. What are some of the misconceptions about hostage negotiation and how can it really apply to that, you know, that real world negotiation? Well, first of all, that hostage takers are crazy. And they're not. They're highly rational. They thought stuff out. It's just that their value decisions, they're based on different values than we are. And even if they're crazy, if you will, Everybody has patterns. Hostage taking, kidnapping, that's just intense behavior. Those patterns of human behavior don't change in how people make up their mind. Everybody's triggered by fear of loss, whether it's hostage takers or whether it's business people. What are we most afraid about losing here? And that's going to be not the only influence, but it's, it is, in fact, going to be the single biggest dominating influence, the fear of loss. And that's actually, as I was getting to learn how hostage negotiation applied completely to business negotiation, because we get somebody on a phone in a hostage negotiation, the very first thing we're looking for is what's the recent trigger is going to be a loss of some sort. There's Nobel Prize winning economic theory from 2002, Danny Kahneman, who wrote the book Thinking Fast and Slow. And it's all around the fear of loss and how people react to it and how it skews our perception. And he's just talking about daily life. And when I found out about that, I thought I'm really on the right track here. Navigating loss as the single biggest influencer when we're making up our crazy monkey mind, makes all the difference in the world. 
Well, that's a great point. That uh, psychological reactance or that scarcity, that urgency applies in negotiation too. And people think there's that loss or they're going to be left out. That is a huge psychological trigger. Like you mentioned the monkey brain, right? It just happens. We feel it. Sometimes we didn't even know why. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, we don't like the fact that every thought we have goes blasting through the monkey part of our mind. But whether it starts there or whether it just goes through there, that part of the brain changes us. Mm. Good point. Yeah, it's still there from back in the day, the fight or flight brain, the monkey brain. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So in your book, Splitting the Difference... Never is, split the difference. Never split the difference. Never split the difference. <laughs> <laughs> good catch. Good you, catch. <laughs> you were testing me there. I appreciate yeah, that. That's right. You passed again. In the light round. Again. It's I'm almost like you actually wrote it, right? <laughs> <laughs> in your book, Never Splitting the Difference, I'll be the blunder on the show next week. In your book, one of the subheadings of one of your chapters is how we need to ask for permission or get permission to persuade somebody. Can you talk about that with the context of hostage negotiating and how that transition in, into the business world? Yeah, you know, and that's another reason why it's a complete transition, because it's, a, it's an autonomy issue. Another friend of mine, Dan Shapiro, who wrote Beyond Reason a number of years ago, is a buddy from up at Harvard, really smart guy and a great guy. He talked about how autonomy, it's a lens and a lever. It's how we look at the way people think, and also it's a way that we can use a lever on how they think because autonomy is going to leverage them. I mean, the United States is a country born on autonomy. We're willing to die for our freedom. That's autonomy. In a business deal, you take away somebody's feeling of autonomy, and they'll actually reject the deal because they felt they lost their autonomy. Hostage negotiation. We had SWAT teams before we had hostage negotiators. The SWAT teams would show up and they'd say, surrender or die. And people would think, well, it's rational. Nobody wants to die. So if we tell them to surrender, they'll come out. And people were getting killed right and left because it was a loss of autonomy. And that man, a man's home is his castle. To take away his autonomy and he'll die before he comes out. In a business deal, same thing. You take away somebody's autonomy, they're more likely to reject you. So the flip side is, if that's true, then let's just take the flip side. Give them more autonomy, and they're going to be more open, and they will then, if you respect their autonomy, they will give you permission to persuade them. What would you tell somebody then? I mean, how do you give autonomy? Jim Camp's book, Start With No, started out by just letting them know ahead of time they have the right to say no. And you can say, look, please feel free to reject this at any time. We started to experiment, took it one step farther. If I can get you to say no, you will immediately feel tremendous autonomy and control. And I'll say something like, is this a ridiculous idea? It's, it's actually what I used. I thought I gave Jack Welch a stroke by asking him one time. Jack Welch is signing some books. The last book out was uh, The Real Life MBA. So he's at a book signing, and I want to ask him to come speak in my, the class that I teach at USC. And I know that 8 billion people that day asked Jack to say yes to something. I mean, we're clubbed to death over yes and getting people to say yes is how we start taking away their autonomy. If I say to you, do you want to make more money? You already know I'm leading you into a trap. I'm trying to take away your autonomy. I'm try trying to take away your ability to say no. And that happens. We're like battered children so much so that anytime somebody tries to get us to say yes, we feel a loss of autonomy. Flip side again, what happens on the flip side? Get somebody to say no. So Jack Welch is sitting there. I'm coming through just another schmuck wants his book signed. They don't know who I am, what kind of a crazy wacko I might be. They don't know if I'm going to kiss Jack Welch on the lips when I get close to him. They don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and so I walk up and I just say, is it a ridiculous idea for you to come speak at the class I teach on negotiation at USC? 
trying to trigger a no. He freezes. He looks up and to his left like he's staring off into outer space with this incredibly intense look on his face and just so completely freezes with this intense look. I think to myself, my God, I just gave him a stroke. I just killed Jack Welch. Way to go. Yeah, I think I'm going to jail here. He's so angry. He had such an intense look on his face. But what he was doing was accessing his brain, going through his calendar, thinking about what he had going. And what seemed like an eternity, he finally looks back at me and he says, this is my personal assistant's name. This is how you get a hold of her. I think we're going to be in L.A. at that time. Reach out for her and see if our calendars will sync up. And I triggered so much self-control, so much clarity of thought by just changing the yes question to a no question. Is it a ridiculous idea? Well, no, it's not ridiculous. And bang, he's thinking and he's cooperating with me. Very interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. Sometimes getting the nose a right thing to do and puts things into perspective. I like that. Yeah, it's not an obstacle to be overcome. It's something to be used once you know what it does to the monkey mind, if you will. Good point. Good point. One thing we've been hammering over the last few months on the show, I know is, and you know it's important, is trust, building that trust. Without trust, it's very difficult to persuade and influence. So in your book, you also mentioned, you talked about trust, but you also talked about creating trust with tactical empathy. I love that word. What do you mean by tactical empathy? Yeah, well, this is not your grandfather's empathy. This is not the 1970s, 1960s, let's all give each other a hug and dance and sing and everybody will be wonderful. Kumbaya, that Kumbaya, sort of all that. This, this is not that. This is not, all I right. feel so bad for you. Oh, my God, it's horrible. You know, it's none of that nonsense. You know, we used empathy as a very specific tactic enough in hostage negotiation that I saw enough of the specific emotions that would be triggered. And then as I punched the button on these emotions, what it does to the decision-making process. So if I know tactically how it'll work, and I can calibrate this approach. This is weaponized empathy. This is military-grade empathy. This is knowing what's going to happen. If something bothering you and there's a negative, I know how to diffuse that, to diminish it, to shrink it, if not make it disappear. I also know because what Danny Kahneman taught us, and, his, and actually his partner, Amos Tversky, with thinking fast and slow, that your fears are going to bang through your brain twice as hard as your desires. The negatives will be much more of an obstacle than the positives. So tactically, it's smarter for me to get rid of those negatives than to ignore them and pretend they'll go away, which is what most people do. Because they're so bad at dealing with negatives, the second worst thing of screwing them up is just to go silent on them. And that's why people leave them alone, because they're used to screwing them up. But that's not really a great strategy. Inactivity is not a good strategy. I can tell you specifically how to diminish those negatives, which kind of frees your brain up. I got a great trick that I do in all the training that I do. I ask people to volunteer to role play with me in front of everyone else. Now, nobody wants to get embarrassed in front of a group. And if I ask you to role play, there's a real good chance you're going to take a beating because this, the, you know, quote, Voss is this great negotiator and this is in front of the group. So since I know that this is a thought process, as soon as I bring it up, when I tell people I'm going to ask them to volunteer, I say, listen, I just want you to know in advance, before you volunteer, the experience is going to be horrible. And I go dead silent. And that's me defeating, preempting, a preemptive assault on the negative. And people laugh and a tremendous amount of tension is released. 
And then after I give it a chance, people a chance to sink in, then I say, and those of you who do volunteer are going to get more out of it than anybody else. This is the pitch of the positive. This is a change of the sequence. And there's never any shortage of hands that shoot up very quickly as soon as I've done that. And that's a tactical sequencing that's different than what anybody else does. I get rid of the negative, and then I go after the positive. That's what tactical like like is. Yeah. Okay, good point, good point. Very cool. Never heard of it explained in that way. That's why you need to buy my book, of course. You know, oh, so you allow me to, to say that Inc.com has picked my book as one of the seven best negotiation books ever written. Nice. Nice. Good, good job. Yeah. Kurt and I like the joke when we transitioned to promoting our stuff on the show that we just did another awkward segue. That was not awkward. That was pretty smooth, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. More oh, points. You now you're negotiating with me. You're, you know, you're making me feel good. You're working it. Nice and done. Yeah, we call that ingratiation. Uh, and even really, when you know it's what I'm doing, it works. Because I can't help but be impressed with you for being insightful if you think I'm smart, right? <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. Well said. Well said. <laughs> so if your book could accomplish one thing, for our listeners, what would you like for that to be? Remove their fear of negotiation and make better deals. It'll bring more time into your life if you want to spend less time negotiating and more time on other things. If what you want is for your deals to stick, if you want for people to stop looking at you and saying that's right just as a way to get you to stop talking, so then go back about their business and, and never change. And a lot of this ends up being fear-based behavior. Everybody imagines their, their negotiation counterpart's going to be Donald Trump. They're going to be in for a fight, and he's going to call them names, and he's going to kick a chair across the room, and it's just going to be painful. And in reality, the Donald Trumps, and he's just a poster child for a particular type of negotiator. They're, you know, they're, they're anywhere from 25% to a third of the people we run across, which means most people are not like that. But that's always the guy that we imagine. If I can get that fear out of people's heads, then their life is just going to be more enjoyable. Very good. Very good. All right, this is great information to this point. We're learning some great things about negotiation and influence and how to deal, like you mentioned, the monkey brain. So as you look at the negotiators out there and the training that you've done, how would you describe a successful negotiator? What are their traits? What do you notice that they have that maybe the average negotiator doesn't have? A little bit of patience, and they like interacting with people. You'll pick negotiation up faster if you're open to learning and if you've thought, all right, I'm, I'm in it for the long term. I know that's going to take me long term. I can't pick it up instantly. There is no fairy dust. And there's this crazy reaction in the brain that changes. As soon as you decide that you're going to take a long term approach to learning something, you actually learn it faster. If you say to yourself, I'm taking a long term approach to becoming a better negotiator and a half an hour of thought and practice will get you farther than the same guy who hasn't made that emotional commitment and how far they get in three hours. You get better ridiculously faster once you make in your mind say, I'm making a long-term commitment here, commitment here. kind of a, a counterintuitive thing. I like that. And then along those lines too, I know there's been a lot of negotiation training over the years and I've been to them and you've been to them. And have you been seeing that a lot of those old school techniques just aren't working like they used to or they're dark tricks that they've been teaching just have gone to the wayside? Yeah, there's there's one of those in particular is this, this whole yesable stuff. You know, get people to say yes. It's, it's actually, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's the mere agreement thing. And if I get you to say yes to a mere and minor things in the conversation, 
then it increases the chances you're going to say yes to the big thing. And there's actually a study out there that supports it. And I looked at the study because there's a study that supports anything. I mean, somebody found some funding someplace and constructed a study to support nearly any idea. It's like accounting. So you better take a hard look at how the data was pulled together. But that is so overused that even if there was a point in time when it is valid, human beings across the world like battered children. You try to hug a battered child, they're going to duck. And you try to get somebody to say, yes, they're going to duck and they're going to pull back. So that's really the worst thing that people are doing on a regular basis. That's a good point that our listeners should pull from that is that any tool or technique that's been abused or overused is not going to work. Or if they don't like you or don't trust you, it's not going to work. You've got to spend some time developing that foundation and understand when to use a certain tool, when not to use a certain tool. Right. Because, again, we're all a little bit different that way. And the techniques that people have been using for 20 years, those old closing skills that just don't work like they used to because they've been abused. They Sure, they worked once or used to work, but after you get hit with it 20,000 times, it just doesn't have the same effect. Right, and they've been used on us enough times to lead us into a trap, then we built a great defense for it. Good point, good point. I had a pest control salesman come to my door a couple <laughs> months ago, and, and yeah, they're they're certainly teaching that these brain dead yes questions. And I got so fed up with it. I said, Hey buddy, you don't have to keep sticking your foot in the door. It's wide open. You got me knock it off with the cheesy yeses and tell me what you're here for. Right. And uh, I think he had to go change his pants after that, but it was a good lesson <laughs> for him to, to realize everybody's onto that. It's a lot like these legal drama shows where you've got a witness on the stand and the attorney is saying, isn't it true that on this date you were here Right. And they know they're being led to their death, and prospects just feel like that with this right. kind of stuff. Exactly right. And attorneys actually call that cornering, and who wants to be cornered? <laughs> That's what they're calling it. So you're going to try to use it in sales or persuasion, the cornering technique? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, try to corner a tiger and see what happens. Right, right, right. Same thing with humans, you bet. Yeah, yep. exactly right. I got to ask you, Chris, do you have a, a great story, whether it's business related or when you're in the FBI, of a negotiation that you've really remembered over the years? We had a, uh, it was a kidnapping in the Philippines. Kidnapper was a lone kidnapper, serial killer. And it's the only lone kidnapper that I ever heard of and that we even dealt with. And I've got enough experience in kidnapping internationally. And if I haven't heard of it, it doesn't mean it didn't happen, but it probably didn't. So this guy, ends up using something that is now a recognized business technique that I sniffed him out. I actually didn't think he was by himself, but I thought on the phone he was the boss because very rarely does a boss negotiate in real life. He always sends a representative, and there's a reason for that. They're trying to keep the decision maker away from the table. And anybody at the table who's in love with plural pronouns, we, they, them, if they are knocking themselves out in the negotiation to make themselves appear powerless... They are the guy. They always have a team on the other side, but anybody who's working to look and make himself look powerless is probably the most influential guy on the other side. <laughs> and this guy in the Philippines, this killer, he was always talking about the rest of his group. And I remember while this was going on, I'm thinking, like, we got the boss on the phone here. So we have started up much earlier than in this process, and I think we're talking to the boss. We end up, with the help of the Philippine National Police, catching this guy and find out that not only was he the boss, he was the sole proprietorship. <laughs> <laughs> and then we found out about the other kidnappings that he'd done. There was at least one where ransom was paid. 
and a victim never appeared, which means he killed them. And there's another kidnapping that I had known about, but I didn't know it was this guy where he cut off an ear and sent the ear and the video of the ear to the company, the guy that he'd kidnapped uh, their employee. So I find out that we have grabbed a guy who has been somewhat notorious. We just had no idea that all these kidnaps were linked to this guy. And when we got through it and the opening of questions that we used on him and, and everything that happened in that case, then I had coached the brother of the victim through the negotiation. What I really am is a negotiation coach. And I've actually had that young man come and speak to my business school classes because it was just synonymous with all these business dynamics. That was one that it stuck out of my mind because we caught the bad guy. We rescued a, a victim and it was such an unusual case. And it was he was a businessman. He was a complete businessman and did all business tactics. Wow. Wow. So you're at the table. Well, we can't do that. I'm going to have to go clear that. The more they do that, the more likely that they're, they're the guy. The more likely they are the guy. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. They're hiding it from you and they're smart enough to try to hide it. And the flip side is the guy who is utterly in love with the singular pronouns. I, me, my, this is what I want. This is like the bartender who says, I don't stock that in my bar. <laughs> you know, he doesn't own that bar. Yeah. And it's the same thing. People in, want to enhance their importance when they don't have any. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Chris, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and, and your book? BlackSwanLTD.com. Black, B-L-A-C-K, Swan, S-W-A-N, one N, like the bird. LTD like limited black swan ltd.com you can learn about the book we've got a bunch of stuff that we give away free complimentary we've got a twice a month complimentary negotiation advisory letter that has short sweet easy to read articles on anything from negotiating your cable bill to being backed in a corner on a major business deal we do everything we can I want people to buy the book, but I, you know, I want them to have better lives too. Believe it or not, I really do, and I want people to have fun while they're while they're negotiating. That's great. That's great. This has been an awesome interview, Chris. We really appreciate you coming on the show, and hope to have you again sometime soon. Guys, thanks. You were a lot of fun. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Chris. We appreciate it. Great information. My pleasure. Wow, Kurt. Once again. I do not know that I've heard anybody ever explain the whole yes thing as well as Chris just did. It's definitely getting that way, or it has been for a while, where people who are being persuaded, they're, they're just afraid to even engage at all because they feel like they're being led down into a trap. They are. Like we mentioned, they're being cornered like that animal that's cornered. They will come at you. Even though they know they need it, want it, like, and can afford it, they're going to come at you because they feel cornered and they're manipulated, and nobody wants that. You need to be more of a professional and realize... Your job is to help them to persuade themselves by asking the right questions and leading them down that road and help them realize for themselves, yes, I need this. I need to do this. I need to change. And when you can do that, that's the new world of persuasion, motivation, influence, and negotiation is help them persuade themselves. Because the moment they sense that you're using some old-style closing technique or that you're trying to persuade them to do something, they're going to resist you, and you have to understand that's part of, like you said, the monkey brain. Yeah, I love the monkey brain. So I want to get <laughs> your two cents on this. He said something that is making the old-school trainers have serious indigestion, but I agree 110% with him about giving them their freedom, getting them to actually say no, which is against almost everything that's been taught on the subject of persuasion. Oh, you don't want anyone to say no. What did you think about that? I think he's right on. When things have been abused and people have always asked the right questions over and over again, if you get them to think a little bit differently, get the no, 
I'm all about the contrast and getting to know and putting things in perspective. Like he said, it was, is it completely ridiculous to talk right now or to do this? And it's a different way of thinking. And the reason he had to stop and think and mention Jack Welch is that he's never had it phrased that way before. And so he actually had to put some thought into it versus the knee-jerk reaction of, oh, I don't have time, I can't do it. And that was a big aha. Well, that, yeah, that's what's cool about it is it's kind of weird how it's phrased because it's not what we typically do. But because it is, uh, the monkey brain has to step out and the thinking brain has to take over because it, I've never heard that before. And he was right on with that because if you could do that, like you mentioned, go from that knee-jerk reaction, the monkey brain, where they're going to say it's too expensive, can't afford it when that's not true. We have to actually process, get a little logic going, actually think about it, and you're going to get different results. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it was a great interview. We'll probably have Chris back on the show at some point in the future. Everybody, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Go out and persuade with power.